Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. All right, it's the good stuff. Yeah. This is the Laugh Podcast. Over there is your host, Mr. Ryan Bull. Howdy. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. That's great. It's a bright, beautiful... 70 degree day so we're spending it indoors <laughs> it's getting a little hot for me it's getting a little hot so yeah. you're not doing too well today no nah, but i don't feel good i don't feel right and of course that voice i'm talking to is richard lust right i was gonna the other myself host. in a minute yeah uh yeah yeah i'm not feeling too good about myself but i'm feeling pretty good about this movie we're gonna be reviewing this week for episode 152 it's the long-awaited, our long-awaited review of The Lobster. Have you ever been on your own before? No, never. Your last relationship lasted how many years? Around 12. Sexual preference? Women. Is there a bisexual option available? No, sir, this option is no longer available. Hmm. And the dog? My brother, he was here a couple of years ago, but he didn't make it. Did you read the leaflet? Yes, I did. As you understand from your brother's experience, if you fail to fall in love with someone during your stay here, you'll turn into an animal. Have you ever danced with anybody? Yes. As an animal, you'll have a second chance to find a companion. What sort of dancing did you do? Just depends on the music. Mind if I join you? It's no coincidence that the targets are shaped like single people and not couples. Like it. Yes. Yorgos Lanthimos's, um this is the way it's described on IMDb. Uh, in a dystopian society, single people must find a mate within 45 days or be transformed into an animal of their choice. Stars Colin Farrell as David, the person that's uh, most interested in finding a, a mate. And uh, Rachel Weiss as short-sighted woman. It also has Leah Sadu as loner, loner leader, and uh, Ben Wishaw as the limping man. I think one of my favorite characters is a underutilized, in my point of view, John C. Riley as as lisping man. Lisping man. <laughs> yeah. So, if you noticed uh, from my description of the characters, or at least the the actual names that are in the script. This is a very different movie than the one you might be used to. Ones that you might be used to, dear yeah. listener. Yeah, this movie's like nothing else. Uh, only one human character has a name, and that's David. Right. Again, played by Colin Farrell. The only other character that has a first name? The dog. Bob. Bob. <laughs> Love the dog. Bob the dog sounds like a great name for a dog. I've never met a dog named Bob, though. And that name hasn't been taken before, Bob the Dog, mm-hmm. but it just rolls off the tongue. And There's that, some assonance there. That was the only acting performance that won an award for this film. Um, at I, uh, Okay, at, at Con, right? Yeah, at Con. Last year. The Palm Dog. All right, well, we need to get back to that. I, want to talk, <laughs> I think we talked a little bit about that before, but how would you characterize this movie? Um, I, I, I want to kind of discuss its genre. Uh, because it is, I mean, I gave you the brief plot description 
at the beginning of the show, there are a lot more things that go on, at least in terms of the interactions. But that's pretty much the setup there. He's got to find someone within 45 days or else turn into an animal. And he's it's an animal of his own choosing. So the IMDb categorizes it as fantasy science fiction. I have problems with that. I have problems with that as in terms of genre and in terms of, um, I mean, this is an interesting discussion because a lot of this movie thematically deals with pigeonholing people mm-hmm. and putting labels on people. And I think that's part of the, um, you know, like I spread the, about the characters, you know, the limping man, the lisping woman and all that. But for me, well, what, again, what do you, how would you categorize it? What would you say if someone's, well, it's a eh, dark comedy, light romance, slight, science fiction okay that okay i mean it's all of those genres but it's on the outskirts of it it's the literary equivalent of postmodernism it's playing with the conventions within all of those and it serves as a critique of our current society it's to use one of your terms it's allegorical yeah but then i thought you can't i mean you can have allegory in anything you have allegory in westerns you can have allegory in sci-fi so it doesn't lend itself well to a genre. But I, I hadn't thought about magical realism. Ooh, yeah, it can work for that too. As a literary genre, it kind of works in that. But we don't really hear about that much in film. I thought maybe alternate reality. Because there's not a whole lot. And fantasy I don't like because there aren't any dragons and elves. You mm-hmm. know? I mean, that's, the, that's what I think of when I think of fantasy. That or, you know, women. <laughs> but... Science doesn't really fit. Science fiction doesn't fit for me because it, I don't. I don't think it's the. Fu- I don't think it's the future. But it is a dystopia. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's, yeah. it's modern day. In a lot of ways, it's like a Black Mirror, uh, that British television show that imagines the future five minutes from now. So it is set in the future, but it's so close to our own timeline. But a movie like or movies like Black Mirror and any like space travel, like even The Martian, mm-hmm. you. you we're we're headed that way. We can see that happening. This movie, we're we're not really headed towards a loveless, empty society where human interactions, if a true romance or love, if it doesn't happen, you have to choose what animal you're going to turn into. <laughs> the, 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 the that's that's off by an order of you know magnitude in terms of where we're actually headed. If anything, we might be able to choose what alternate avatar or we might be compelled to work in a field somewhere and be i mean i could see them sort of taking taking away our desire for sexuality through drugs or um you know maybe pigeonholing us into certain Mm -hmm. functions but i don't see i don't see a dystopian future where the design is to eliminate um human interactions or or to try to well, this Organized is promoting human interactions. Here. We're not real sure why the society <laughs> ter- took this turn. Plus, these are all people from the city, and they're sent to the hotel to find their mates. Right, right. And the people that re- have rejected this society are now hiding in the woods. And everyone, with the exception of David, is the something. Right, it's almost right. like um, some sort of realism short story or Aesop's fable type right. thing. Which yes. is also kind of interesting. These people are known by their trait, much like, you know, we don't really give names to animals in stories. It's just the rabbit or the white rabbit, something like that. Mm-hmm. So these character names are very similar. 
But it doesn't really give you a hint of what animal they would want to turn into. David, of course, wants to turn into a lobster. The titular lobster. Which is interesting because there are no lobsters in this film. Well, uh, he mentions why. It's part of it because they live for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Made for life. And there's an aristocracy about them. Yeah. And uh, he likes the sea. But we never see a lobster. I felt like I wanted some lobster. Didn't I mean, we... I don't know if that's spoiler. <laughs> but you see rabbits and cats and dogs, donkeys, ponies, pigs, camels, peacocks, and even a flamingo or two. Okay. But no lobster. I felt like this was breaking Chekhov's gun rule. Where the title says something. And yeah. Not- if you say the lobster, I need to see a lobster at some point. If people talk about a lobster, I want to see a lobster. Well, it's like the movie The Gift. That we you reviewed see a gift. last year. You do see a but, gift. Well, you see several gifts. So, But what is the gift of the title? And in this case, what is who is the... Is, is he a lobster before he becomes... Or he would be... Or he would become a lobster? <laughs> is he already the lobster? I mean, the... Uh, uh, another thing that I like about this movie is its marketing. At least in terms of, uh, like, its, its poster. Like if you see a picture mm-hmm. of his poster, which I, if I remember, I might tweet out... Uh, it has him, his hands in sort of a lobster claw pl- place in an, hugging an empty being or an empty person or something that might be there. So he, he almost kind of looks like a lobster in the poster when, I mean, he's obviously a human being and he's not a lobster. So th- th- there's something about that quirky, um, idiosyncratic, uh, marketing and, and, the writing and the and the screenplay and the thematic allegorical stuff that really appeals to me. But who would you who could you recommend this movie to? Tony C, who we want to thank for also being on the show last week yeah, and I reviewing X Men Apocalypse. I listened to that. I think he could appreciate it. There's a lot of dark comedy in this film, so if you're not a fan of that sort of stuff, I wouldn't recommend this film to you. Also, a lot of the humor is delivered deadpan. Uh, the hotel manager makes a speech to all the new guests, you know, about what to expect and, you know, what's going to happen. If you find a mate, then you'll live together on a boat for a month to make sure that you're, you know, compatible. And if you run into any issues, they will issue you a child because children solve all marital problems. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she just says this so matter-of-factly, it's hilarious, uh-huh. but I don't know that everyone would find it as funny as I did the humor, the beats in this, those pauses Mm -hmm. between the jokes, it just worked for me. And I remember, I mean, I called you right after I saw this and was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wonder why you were so enthusiastic about it. And then we've been talking about it for a long time. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that it won some awards for acting uh, by the dog at con. Does that mean that it's ineligible for Oscar consideration this year? Because the official release date that I see on IMDb is May 15th, and it just recently got to our theater here in uh, uh, you know, Hampton Roads, Virginia. But it's at three different theaters in our area, so I uh, hope a lot of people will see it. I don't think it's eligible because it's an Irish film. It was filmed in Ireland. Apparently, it was funded by Ireland. Mm-hmm. And the rules for the Academy Awards are foreign countries can only nominate one film. And I don't believe they nominated. I think they can only nominate one film for foreign film of the year. But I think you're able to have screenwriting credit for any movie that was released in the calendar. I don't know. And Brooklyn was 
the Irish film from last year, and that huh. was nominated for Best Picture. So I'm betting this movie has already had its day, and unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be up for anything. Huh. And it's a real shame, because, again, I think this film is hilarious. I think it's well acted. Normally, I'm not a big Colin Farrell fan. I thought he was great in this movie. He committed to the character. He gained something like 40 pounds for the role. Okay. He seems really fat and doughy, well, yeah, I think that that's, middle-aged. That's owing to the fact that, for me, this movie has no real heroes. And where he would be that heroic type. I mean, there are times when he appears to hero, or he seems to make a, her- a heroic, heroic decision, but to what end, I'm not really sure. And then he lies. Like you said, he's pasty and doughy and mm-hmm. not necessarily attractive if you didn't know he was car- – in a way, he's juxtaposed against what we understand of Colin Farrell, the actor. And I think he's great. I mean, he's great in Bruges. In, in Bruges. <laughs> he's great in Ondine. These are like smaller films that I've seen him in. I thought he was great in True Detective too. Uh, this – Colin Farrell, to me, is one of the top-tier actors. I think you, at one point in our conversations, you kind of refer to him as a B-level actor. But I, for me, he's one of the t- top-tier actors. He got big for a little bit about 10 years ago, but then he kind of just made some movies that never did much. Uh, Winner's Tale was well, his attempt at a comeback. That's a miss. That, that, that movie's a lot better than what they give it credit for. You say so. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, Daredevil was supposed to be a breakout hit for him. It didn't work out. Well, he tried to that, do a couple Daredevil other. Daredevil had a lot of problems. It wasn't yeah, him. But he tried to do some other big budget films and tried to be the star. And he went from just being a, you know, a co-star. He's in Minority Report. He's the guy chasing Tom right. Cruise throughout the whole movie. And he's very good in that. I'm trying to think of movies where he was really able to carry the action. And it was really good. Uh Phone booth wasn't a great film. Again, it was all that, right. I don't think that's his fault. Uh, okay, then he, but he can be blamed for not making the right choices of what movies to participate in. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't disagree. But uh, when you're comparing him to other actors, at least for me, actors that I'd like and actors that I'd like to see in certain things, I like the fact that he's willing to take on these sort of quirky personalities and commit to him in that in the way that you suggested i mean it kind of reminds me of joaquin phoenix mm-hmm. and although they might not be a listers in terms of their draw in the box office for me they're more interesting to watch because even though like movies you say don't have box office success i mean this movie i think you mentioned before that you think it's your number one movie of the year and we're halfway through the year here so oh yeah no i definitely have this as my top film i think the way you feel about colin farrell i feel about rachel wise I okay. thought she was great in The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. Uh, she stars opposite Jude Law. Jude Law? Jude Love? No, Jude Law. Jude well, Law. There might be a Jude know. Love. Jude Law oh, in oh. Enemy at the Gate, which is a great World War right. II sniper yeah. film. She was in a bunch of stuff right at the turn of the 2000s, and I thought she was fantastic. And then she really seemed to pull back on her career right about the time that she married Daniel Craig. Okay. And they're you know a very private couple – she's been much choosier with her films ever since she won an Academy Award for The Constant Gardener. Okay. And I've always enjoyed her. I've always thought she deserves to be a bigger star. I would put her up there with like a Nicole Kidman type, but I don't feel that Hollywood has elevated her to that position. Mm-hmm. So that's and just me. I I think I liked her fine in this movie. I don't 
know how I feel about her character. And that might be part of the way that it's written because she has to convey a lot of allegorical significance. Whereas a person like a real, a real life person would have more, uh, I guess, control over their motivations. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I had to be distant from her that I didn't really experience with David, but I didn't really like David either. So what's her title uh, and the name in the, in the movie? She's the idiot girl or something. Like Rachel that. wise is the short sighted woman, the short sighted woman. Okay. That, that mm -hmm. has some, uh, that has a double significance as well, but, um, yeah, as I, I thought the acting was great, but I just don't know if I really liked the characters. Yeah, no, I, I don't love them, but like you said, the the acting's great. John C. Riley, whenever he can be a, a co-star in a film, I think he steals scenes. He definitely does in this film. Uh, ben uh, Whipshaw as the limping man, he's got some great comedic moments, and I've only really yeah. seen him in dramas. That's what I was going to say. What uh, else has he he's, been in? I, I he's know. in the James Bond movies. He's the new Q. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I didn't like that. So he's pretty good with that. Leah Sadu. She was in Spectre, another Bond movie. She was the latest Bond girl. She made her breakout in that movie Blue, right? Blue is another the warmest color. Movie. Yeah. Blue is the warmest color. So. And she, she, her career is on an upward trajectory. Hopefully, yeah. you know, she goes and does stuff. I think she's good. You don't see much of her until the second half of the film. Well, the, the character for me that, that really stole the show is I'm trying to look her up um, because she is she embodies a lot of the negative aspects of a dystopia like this. And it's the angry woman or the heartless woman played by Agaliki Papaulia. I would suppose a Greek woman. Um, she probably has worked with him before. I'm not sure uh, with Yorgos Lanthimos. She has. She was in Dogtooth okay, with the that, director. That's a movie I've been telling you you got to see because you'll remember it. <laughs> Another reason why I like this movie. You can't – I love movies that are compelling – that make me want to watch it that don't allow me to predict what's going to happen. And there are so many instances in this movie in particular where David will come into a room and it's leading you one way. It's not necessarily a twist. It's just that he does something differently, but it's right for him in that moment. And then it, it sheds a, a new light on the, the characters of the themes or the ideas of the movie. Ben Winshaw has a, uh, an important scene in the film which I had seen in the trailer, which ruins it. <laughs> Again, a yeah. common theme for this podcast. But uh, if if I had been able to see that raw, it would have been a much better point, a much a high point in the movie to see what his character is willing to do because he's there. I think to to act as a counterbalance to um, Colin Farrell's character in that what we do in relationships a lot of times is lie about our motivations and our real wh who we really are. We, we hide that. We're always as human beings, we're constantly in a state of hiding behind certain masks or putting, uh, you know, wearing certain uh, masks in certain situations. He does that perfectly in this movie. And it, and it, um, it's sort of, I, I don't know. Uh, David had, David has a harder time with it, but then he's also willing to lie too. When it, when it suits his needs or, or to save himself at certain times. So the way Yorgos Lanthimos sort of deals with those issues, I don't know how it works in terms of story, but in terms of my enjoyment, I mean, that, that makes it a stellar movie and puts it in the top tier. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, just that idea that in this film, you have to find someone else who has a trait that you can both share in common. Right. And that's the only way you can pair up. I thought that's an interesting critique of our society, and it's true to a large extent. But then you can also but, affect those things. Yeah, and, and that's something David does. And what's nice is he becomes an unreliable char- character. Is he out to find happiness, and does he really want to pair up with someone? The early, the first half of the movie suggests no, but he makes other decisions he does get with Rachel Wise. Well, he also doesn't want to turn into an animal. Yeah, but when that also stops being a problem, he does find someone and he does want to connect with her and find ways, you know, to be there for her. Or does he? (laughs) Well, I mean, we'll also get into the ending, but I mean, he does, he does find ways to interact and to have moments with her. Right. And he doesn't, and he gets jealous when other characters try to assume his position. So I guess that's what I like. You're not always sure what David's motivations are, but most people, their motivations change over time and through experiences. And as you go from one love to another, well, you change who you are. We never see... David is not... Sorry, go ahead. We, we never see really the woman that he was married to for the previous, like, seven years. Right. He gets divorced right in the first two minutes of the film. Right. She says she's found someone else, and he's devastated by this. We don't know how that first marriage worked out and what type of a person he was. Well, you can assume that he's like, I I assume anyway that part of the reason why she left him is because he's so pathetic and doughy and uh, not not extremely likable. I mean, there's a sense of loyalty that he has towards his, I guess his brother Bob had already been turned into a animal. You don't feel like that's some post-traumatic stress from the loss of his brother has affected him? And maybe then soured his marriage. I don't know. That I think you're giving too much credit to the fill-in-the-blank aspects. They, I mean, you might be applying something that isn't necessarily there. I, I, well, I, I think, I, it, I think it's, that, it's hard to dance around some stuff. Can we get into spoilers? Cause yeah, Because there, there is a plot point I feel it can make my case all right, well, for then, how much he cares about his brother. Just, just in terms of – because I, I, I want to make a point with the limping man that doesn't need to be in spoilers. Okay. I, I like how that character is a counterpart to David. And I, I, I like the way that that guy handles that. There's a parallel story to be told. And the Ben Wishaw's character, the limping man, embraces his hypocrisy to the extent that he has to. And he's, in a way, even though he's deceitful and a hypocrite, he's also the most honest character in the movie. So... I mean, honest to the extent that he's I, that we see it. Yeah, but I would also argue the nosebleed woman that he pairs up with, she seems to be somewhat aware of him. And she's going along with this ruse. Right. You know, she she wants to find someone just as much because she doesn't want to be turned into an animal. Right. Well, that, you got that fear that's looming yeah, over you, don't, which is the fear of not finding that person. So Dying alone. <laughs> yeah, I, Fill, a, a man a hundred years filled with regrets alright so you wanted to spoil things it's, it's your propensity to do that so let's get into well, spoilers well that's why we have a spoiler section <laughs> the man that hath no music in himself nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds is fit for treasons, stratagems and spoils I, don't wanna spoil I do think he cares a lot for his brother his reaction to his brother's death is very strong alright so you, you I mean do, strong that it, Strong in terms of what happens after that. Yeah. 
Okay. And the hatred he feels towards um, the mean woman. The heartless woman. Heartless yeah. woman. I mean, and, you know, it's said that he did something horrible to her that day, though we're never actually told exactly what that is. And I enjoy that the story pulls back so that we're forced to fill in those details. I, I do think that there is a big character story between David and his brother that the director and maybe even Colin Farrell figured out for themselves, but never shared with the audience. And, you know, much the same way uh, Tarantino writes these incredibly long character biographies that he gives to his actors. So you're suggesting that that subtext is part of the flaw in his character, that, or at least in terms of his relationship with his wife? I th- yeah, I think the only one he truly loved was his brother. <laughs> See, I, I think that all of that complexity that you have with a familial relationship can exist alongside of a relationship with someone that's truly in love with you. So I'm not sure that, I mean, if, if, if she loved him, like he thinks he loves her, I'm talking about his wife that, that leaves him, then it wouldn't matter how close he was to his brother. Like they can coincide. Uh Like you can have more than one friend. You would like to think that I, I I don't know if that's what this film's arguing. I'm not sure that the film's with you. All right. And I do think it's interesting. The film doesn't let us see many character relationships other than man and woman pairing up. Well, yeah, we don't see anything from before the premise of him being at this hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, so Colin Farrell kind of becomes friends with John C. Riley, though they make it very clear that they don't really like each other. Well, it, it's just that you need someone to talk to at these forced dances and whatnot. But then he, do you think Riley buys his? statements to him in the woods when he when he no riley even calls him out on it a little bit before he gets taken out all right well i saw the movie a while ago yeah i've been on a lot of painkillers and stuff but i I thought that that he softens that he that he well now my criticism is completely blown yeah (laughs) if if in fact he doesn't well and feral goes out of his way to ruin things for ben wishaw i don't think he liked wishaw i always thought he liked david but i mean it's kind of evil to go and try and ruin this guy's life. Well, jealousy. I mean, it's all human emotion. <laughs> but Wishaw is is also so in a movie filled with with unlikable characters, other than Heartless Woman. Who's your least? Who do you like least? Who do I like least? I'm talking about characters as opposed to actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's hard because. I guess I have to hate the Leah Sadu character, the loner leader. She's not a hypocrite. But she she is mean, and she has that great scene where she has the hotel manager and her husband, mm-hmm. and she forces the hotel manager to shoot But don't you think it's fitting into them? Yeah. If you don't represent? shoot her, you'll die. One of you will die. You can either pull the trigger and kill your wife, or you have to die. And then the gun is blank. It has no bullets in it. So she, you know, she purposely ruins their life. You wonder what happened to her when she was at the hotel before she ran away to the woods. Oh yeah, it, it, yeah. You, you wonder about her whole character story. And again, there are things in her performance that makes you feel that she knows or she has decided on a lot of character motivation that she's never going to verbalize on the screen. Right. And that's one of those things that I appreciate. And I feel like subsequent viewings of this film. I'll come to a deeper understanding of all these characters and I'll notice smaller things. The the more that you the more skin of the onion that you peel back, the stinkier it gets. <laughs> yeah. But uh 
I, I asked myself this question earlier, which character do I like least? And I, I, the only, the best answer I could come up with is David. You really don't like David? I don't know why, but I, overall, I, I don't, uh, let, let's get to the big spoiler then at the end. Uh, the movie, if the movie had shown, all right, so in terms of setup, since everybody already knows this part, I probably should have done more on story in the first part of the review, but ah. <laughs> He's placed with the he's he's forced to make a decision in terms of blinding himself to to be compatible with the short sighted woman played by Rachel Weiss. And he excuses himself from her presence, goes into another room, and the movie ends. I mean, with him does he have a, a butter knife or a fork? He has some yeah. utensil that would do the trick, poised at the ready to poke out his eyes. So the, I guess the obvious question to you is does he poke out his eye? Oh, the ambiguous ending? The movie doesn't give us an answer on that. I, I don't know. And with the way they have it framed, unless I missed something, I don't think I did because I went back on Wikipedia and read, she's in front of this big picture frame wi- or this big window. They're at a diner. Right. And I was looking, do you see him walking in the background? I never saw him. According to Wikipedia, he doesn't walk. And it is the ambiguous ending. I don't think he pu- does takes out his eye. And I think that's interesting. He loves her, but I think that there are limits to one's love. And, you know, it's also, it's interesting that he feels that pull to have a, something, to have something in common with this woman. What what occurred to me was if she's blind, she won't know. You don't think you could figure out if someone else was blind? They have to live their life in this sort of weird distance from society because of what she is. No, if you're blind, you can't see if someone else is blind. So he, he could go to her and say, like, even... She always has to wonder if he's telling the truth. She'll never be able to find out for real, I guess, unless she puts her hands into his empty eye sockets. If he pokes out his eyes, she can just throw something at him. How would she know if he caught it or not? He could hear it. Okay, but if you're trying to fake like you're blind, you just don't catch it. Yeah, that's hard to do. Is it? I mean, I, I know. Or you, you I, do I've the pump fake with movies. a knife. If I pump fake throwing a knife at you and you're like, whoa, what are you doing? How did you know I was pump faking a knife at you? I think you can commit without taking your eyes out. I think you can commit to that role. I've seen actors. Just wear sunglasses all the time. Okay, Colin Farrell's a good actor. And if he's trying to make someone <laughs> convince someone of something that they can't see, I think he's going to be able to do that. So you think he doesn't poke his eye out? Then You do you think, think he, he just pokes with that? Yeah, I think he's convinced that he needs to blind himself in order to be with her. But he seems to have a lot of trouble psyching himself up for it. And earlier in the Not film... Not too when much he- trouble. Yeah, that scene in the bathroom goes on a little bit. And when he's done other mean things, you know, when he took out the um, uh, the angry woman, the heartless woman, I mean, he doesn't hesitate for that. He takes out the lone leader or the loner leader, throws her in the ditch, and, you know, those are something sits, he's, sits the dogs on but her. But those are things he's doing to other people. Not okay, but he seems yourself. to be capable of violence without having to psych himself up. Well, you can be violent to other people without causing pain to yourself. Okay, I'm just going with what the movie has shown throughout. The fact that he is now hesitating in much the same way he hesitated trying to fake it, that he was heartless too. Well, it's like all the kids wondering how long, why I've been engaged for 17 years. And I'm like, you got to be sure. (laughs) You can't rush into these things. So it could be that hesitancy to commitment. Have you checked with Guinness yet to see how many more years you have to hold on before you the get the record? The longest engagement? Yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't. But 
I don't really want that record <laughs> with you. Although I'll probably, it, it all depends on how long I live. But I mean, if it's just say another two years, you would hold on for the record, right? Well, yeah, because I'm, I mean, it's not like I can get married in the next two years. <laughs> I can tell you that, but I'm also not going to be disengaged <laughs> unless something happens that I'm not aware of. All right. Like Colin Farrell. You know? Yeah, like Colin Farrell. So there's our movie <laughs> review, people. <laughs> the Lobster. <laughs> uh, honestly, I do think that this is the best movie of the year so far. I'm pretty sure this is going to be at the top of my list at the end of the year, or at least very close. Top three, at least. I have to agree. So far, top. it's in my top six of the, of the last six months. So it's probably much higher than that, but I haven't really done any kind of formal listing yet. And... Yeah. uh Maybe that's something that we want to do. I don't know if, I mean, on the We Laugh, we talked about going to see World of Warcraft or Warcraft or Minecraft. Warcraft. Or whatever, crap, Warcraft or whatever that is. Warcraft. Based on World of Warcraft, the video yeah. game. Yeah. Gotta see a movie this weekend. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we got you out to see The Lobster, but. It might, I might try to find some other independent kind of movie to talk about, but. We will see something, I'm sure, and we'll be back on the Laugh Podcast. I don't have a quote for you. I don't either. I was trying to think of one from uh, Jurassic World. It's just that that movie doesn't resonate. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Well, on that note, on that <laughs> on downer. That downer. There, uh, over there is uh, Mr. Two Frames Ryan Bull. It was a pleasure. I'm the L Train, Poxhead Bodum, everybody. There be dragons. going to the movies this weekend? Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash the Laugh Podcast. The best comments will get read on a future show. All right, so what do you think of his decision making in terms of the animal? Because that's a practical thing. That he wants to be a lobster? Yeah. He likes the sea. <laughs> <laughs> I like the sea. They mate for life. They live to be alone. Well, what, be really what, would, what would your choice be? If you had a choice to either fall in love or if you can't fall in love, you're going to choose to be an animal. Oh, that's easy. Yeah. T-Rats. Really? Go be a dinosaur. You won't be able to itch your back? <laughs> Pick your nose? You just rub up against a big uh, red oak tree. <sighs> Wait, I think that you might be wrong... I don't. I don't think that they could. You're you're mixing. Uh, your 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 species aren't compatible with each other in terms of the geographic age or the uh, geological ages. Oh, you have to pick a current animal. You want to resurrect a T Rex and be a. Or T-Rex. can I be a mythical animal? Yeah, you can be any animal you want. Kraken. <laughs> don't you think they try to take you down? They can try. I'm the Kraken. <laughs> Really? Boom. Wow. Cracking. All right. What would you do? I like uh, marsupials. I like uh, any <laughs> any animal with a pouch. I'm sort of, uh, I, I lean towards the- uh, <laughs> Your own you. personal beer cozy. <laughs> yeah. If you're an animal, I mean, I don't understand why all animals don't have pouches. That's just like, in terms of evolution, you need a pouch, man. It's not a bad thing. I wish we had pouches. What if you had to go for a mythical animal? Uh, well, the liger is too easy. So, but liger is a, a real mi- thing. Oh, really? Yeah, you just made a lion with a tiger. I want to made a kinkajou with a koala. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good animal. 
a mythical animal, probably, I mean, I like dogs, so Cerberus. <laughs> but you know what? Make two animals together. Sheep with a dragon. It can breathe fire, but if it does, it's going to set itself on fire. It's a shag. With, with all that wool there. You, if you're listening to us in Britain, we, I just cussed. <laughs> you're shagging. Nice. Uh, gee, I mean, if, so you're mixing animals up. You don't want to be. I mean, well, you just talked about mating two together. Well, no, know, no, I I'm saying I, I was trying to do the same thing yeah. in terms of me, m- mixing together mythical beasts because I always kind of like Pegasus, the flying horse, but you, I would add some marsupial powers to that flying horse. So a flying Pegasus that sort of looks like a koala. But can turn his feet around and run backwards like the Kinkajou. That's just that's that's an incredible power. The ability to run backwards to to turn your feet around and run backwards, and with a prehensile tail, and a raccoon's face. People, if you don't know the Kinkajou, look him up. Check out the facts on the Kinkajou. Marsupials are the most interesting creatures in the world. Like the most interesting man in the world. The most interesting suborder of of, <laughs> of animal yeah. is the marsupial. Yes, the marsupial class. Yeah. I mean, I see I you're would, prone I to would. dinosaurs, but those don't exist anymore. Uh, kind of cool, yeah. Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park yeah. world, and Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it, you know it'd be a good way to get back at those people who are like, ah, you didn't find a mate. You now turn into an animal. They put me into that booth. They open up the door. Dinosaur. <laughs> oh, Time to get you my revenge. This, or Kraken. You could do the same thing as a bull or a minotaur. That would just be too obvious if I went for the bull. Because right. I know some of our listeners are like, well, of course we know what he's going for. Right. The bull. <laughs> <laughs> what if you were you were the bull body with the what what's with the, the least, human head? <laughs> what's like, the least know. popular animal? It's gotta be the snake. Right? Nobody wants to be a snake or slug. Is a slug a, is an animal? A slug is not an animal. It's a parasite. It's not a parasite. It's an insect. Slugs, I mean, slugs, parasites, insects, all of your lower order forms. Of, Those are animals. They're, do they... F- they're under the animal... Whatever you have really? that, Those great orders. Chain it's, of it's not a mushroom. It's not a plant. It's not human. It's animal. Really? Yeah. I don't know if, I, if in my mind I think of insects as animals. <laughs> I don't. You think of them as something uh, as well, other. Well, they're, they're underneath reptiles. Reptiles are also animals. I, I get it. But for some reason, it just doesn't occur to me that in, uh, like mosquitoes are animals. But whatever. I like fur. You apparently like cold, scaly skin. They're probably the least attractive animal to turn yourself into if insects are an animal is the millipede. Those oh, are pretty gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But a slug slash millipede. <laughs> it's pretty horrifying. 